Well, thank you for your welcome. It is an absolute privilege and joy to be with you here in Penzance, especially for your church anniversary. 221 years of the gospel being proclaimed here is a wonderful thing and worth celebrating, worth marking. Uh, Cholton Evangelical Church in Manchester is not quite so old. We're only 93 years old. Um, so uh, it's only 93 years that the gospel has been proclaimed in that part of Cholton, uh, but we rejoice in that too. Uh, I'll tell you just a little bit about our, our church, just so that it can help you in your prayers for us as we pray for you. Um, we have a membership of around about 30 and typically a congregation of around 60, um, although in recent months that has uh, hit about 100, um, and we've just seen a remarkable number of people start coming to the services, and uh, we don't really know why other than to say God has brought them, and we rejoice in that, uh, so much so that we've had to put out extra seats at the back of the church and buy extra Bibles to give to visitors as they come in, so that's wonderful, uh, but it does present its own challenges. Um, some of these people are coming from some sort of Christian background, others from absolutely no Christian background at all. And so there is a job of evangelism to be done amongst some of these people and a job of discipleship to be done amongst those who are the Lord's. So do uh, remember us in your prayers. This past week, we have been doing a big outreach drive in a neighboring suburb of Manchester that has no evangelical witness that we're aware of. Um, and so we've taken out adverts in the local newspaper and we've um, done a leaflet bomb um, across all the suburb and we've hired the local public library and put out a display on the Bible and on um, Pilgrim's Progress and invited people to come just as an opportunity to make contacts to see whether there is any hunger or thirst for the word of God. Um, and it hasn't been overwhelming, but there have been one or two that we've got to know, and uh, maybe we'll form a Bible study in that suburb of Manchester, and who knows what God can do from that. Uh, so that gives you a little flavor of what's going on uh, in the kingdom in Cholton in Manchester. Um, but now let's turn to God's word, shall we? Um, please turn with me to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 26. Matthew's Gospel and chapter 26. And if you are using a Bible provided by this church this morning, you'll find our reading on page 877. Page 877 in the Church Bibles for Matthew's Gospel and chapter 26. Now we'll read the opening 16 verses. Uh, yesterday evening, we looked at the opening five verses. This morning, I want us to look at verse 6 through to verse 13. And then this evening, we'll look at verses 14, 15, and 16. But just so that we have the context of it all, we'll read from verse 1 down to verse 16 of Matthew chapter 26. Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover. And the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery 
and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And when Jesus was at Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him, having an alabaster flask of very costly, fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. But me, you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Well, may God bless the reading of his word. And before we turn to consider some of those verses, let me just pray. Let's all pray together. Lord, our God and our loving heavenly Father, we have just read these words of wicked men plotting together to kill Jesus, of the beautiful and sacrificial act of this woman at Bethany, and the treachery of Judas against our Savior. Lord God, help us to learn from what we read. Help us not to be mere hearers of the word, but help us to be doers of it. So help us to see the lessons that we are to learn. May this congregation have open hearts, open minds, open ears to your word, and may this preacher preach faithfully. For we ask it all in the Savior's name. Amen. Well, I hope you have that passage open in front of you that we have just read together in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. Now, yesterday evening, for those of you who were not there, uh, we looked at the opening five verses of the chapter, and we saw that although evil men were plotting to kill Jesus, it was all part of God's glorious plan of salvation. And I want you to know that these three incidents that we read of in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, they're not isolated stories that Matthew has just cobbled together at random. He has put them together on purpose, that we are meant to see the plotting to kill Jesus, and then we're meant to see the beautiful act of sacrificial love at Bethany, and then we're meant to see Judas's horrible betrayal. This morning, then, as we continue to look at Matthew chapter 26, we're going to focus on verse 6 to verse 13. We're going to focus on this story of the woman that anoints Jesus at Bethany. And the title for the sermon this morning is, Give Your Best to Jesus. Give Your Best to Jesus. But I don't want you to think 
that what we have here in the Bible is a nice story of a woman doing something kind for Jesus. And the lesson is, therefore, that we should do lots of nice, kind things for Jesus too. This story is not meant to be read in that way. This story is not meant to be read in that superficial, banal, shallow way. Far from it. What we have here is a woman who is being incredibly sacrificial in her devotion to her Savior and doing it in the face of much opposition, even from the disciples themselves. She is doing something that the Lord describes as good, lovely, beautiful. She is doing something that is perhaps even more significant than the woman herself really understands. And the actions of this woman have such deep theological significance that Jesus says, wherever the gospel is preached, this story will be preached as a memorial to what she has done. And more than that, the verses that we're reading, the actions of this woman are meant to be read in stark contrast with the verses that precede it and the verses that follow it. For in the verses that precede it, we have the statement that the religious leaders of Jerusalem have all gathered together and they are plotting to kill Jesus. And in the verses that follow, it is recorded that Judas Iscariot set out to betray Jesus and sandwiched in between those two stories is this event of a loyal, faithful, true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, when I say that the title for the sermon this morning is Give Your Best to Jesus, I don't mean it in some sort of nicey-nicey, casual, trivial way. I mean something far deeper, far more profound. And perhaps some of the things we're going to learn from this passage this morning, it might be a little unsettling for some of you. It might make things a bit uncomfortable for some of you. Because this passage is asking you, are you really giving your best to Jesus? So then, as we look at these verses of Matthew's gospel this morning, I want to show you four things. Four things about giving your best to Jesus. And I'll tell you what the four things are right now. First of all, it is costly. It's costly to give your best to Jesus. Secondly, it's provocative. It's provocative. Thirdly, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And fourthly, it's eternal. It's eternal. It's costly. It's provocative. But it's beautiful. And it's eternal. First of all, I want you to see as we look at this passage that it is costly to give your best to Jesus. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 tells us that Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. 
Now, Simon was a very common name in the first century Palestine. We do not know much about this particular Simon. He's called Simon the leper. I think it unlikely that he would be suffering from a skin disease at this particular time. So presumably he once had leprosy. Perhaps he had been cured by Jesus. We don't know. But look at verse 7 now. Just read verse 7 with me. And in verse 7, we're told a woman came to him, that is to Jesus. A woman came to him, having an alabaster flask of very costly, fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. Now, who was this woman? You know, John's gospel records a very similar event. I think in all likelihood, the same event. And John tells us that it was Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. But Matthew chooses not to name her because Matthew's focus is on the act rather than the woman. And what an act it was. We're told that this woman came up to Jesus with an alabaster flask of very costly, fragrant oil. Now, alabaster is a stone very commonly found in Israel. Very often it was yellowish or whitish in color, and it had a marble-like appearance. It was a very beautiful stone. And it was very easy to carve. It was a soft stone. So perfumes and ointments were often kept in alabaster jars to keep them pure and unspoiled. And verse 7 tells us that on this occasion, this alabaster flask contained a very costly fragrant oil. Not just costly, very costly, very precious, exceedingly valuable. Now John's gospel, if John is recording the same incident, tells us it was worth 300 denarii. That's about one year's wages for a common laborer. So in our economy today, that's about around about just over 20,000 pounds. That's a vast amount of money. And yet we're told that she poured it all out on the head of Jesus as he reclined at table. She poured out this precious, valuable, expensive oil all over the head of Jesus. 20,000 pounds worth of ointment poured out in just one solitary act. And something that valuable would have smelt beautiful. The sweet smell of that fragrant oil would have soaked into the hair of Jesus and soaked into the beard of Jesus and down onto his whole body. And the whole house of Simon the leper would have been filled with this wonderful scent. Now, why did the woman do it? Why did this woman perform such an expensive, costly act? Well, on one level, she may have simply been showing her love and devotion to Jesus. You know, when we love someone very much, we are willing to buy them expensive gifts, aren't we? 
We want to show them that we're devoted to them. And so we're willing to do extravagant things for the people we love the most. When a man gets engaged to a woman, he very often will buy her a diamond ring. It's extravagant, it's costly, but he loves her. He's devoted to her. So that's one reason why this woman may have poured out this fragrant oil on the head of Jesus, simply because she loved him. She was devoted to him. But on another level, this woman may have been doing something far more profound, far more theologically significant. For in the Old Testament scriptures, when oil was poured out on someone's head, it was often an act of anointing, wasn't it? So the kings of Israel were anointed with oil. The priests of Israel had their heads anointed with oil in recognition that they're now being set aside for a particular role. And of course, as the Old Testament progressed, the idea of anointing with oil became associated with the Messiah, which literally means the anointed one. So yes, many people in the Old Testament were anointed, many kings, many priests, but there was an awareness amongst the Old Testament people of God that there is someone coming who will not just be an anointed one, but the anointed one. So then when this woman pours out this ointment, this oil, this fragrant oil on the head of Jesus, she may be saying more than that she just loves him, more than that she is devoted to him, she may also be saying, I believe this is the anointed one. This is the Messiah. This is my Messiah. The one who had been promised by all the prophets and by all the law. And because he is the Messiah, she is willing to spare no expense. It doesn't matter how costly it may be. She is prepared then to give Jesus the most valuable thing that she possesses. She is not holding anything back. She wants Jesus to have it all. She pours out every last drop upon the head of Jesus. And yes, she does it because she loves him. Yes, she does it because she's devoted to him, but also because he is the Messiah. And she recognizes that. Now, let me ask you this morning, do you love Jesus like that? Are you devoted to Jesus in this way? Do you really understand that he is the Messiah, the only Messiah? And are you prepared to give your best to Jesus, even though it may be costly to you? Now, I'm not talking about your bank balance. I'm not talking about money. Yes, of course, we should support the Lord's work financially, of course, we, we ought to give money in support of the work of the gospel, but you can't just measure your devotion in terms of how many checks you write or how much money you put in the offering box. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your energy. I'm talking about your skills and talents that God gave you. I'm talking about your commitment. Oh. It's so disappointing when you see Christians who say that they've been saved by the blood of Christ, who will happily spend two hours watching a movie, but cannot summon the energy 
to be out on the Lord's day twice, morning and evening, to worship him. It's such a concern when Christians will happily spend whole evenings touring round the shops in the shopping malls, but cannot find the time to attend a midweek meeting for Bible study and for prayer. It's so troubling to hear of Christians who prefer to play sport rather than help with the outreach work of the local church. This woman gave the most valuable thing that she had. Even though it was costly, she did it because she loved Jesus. She did it because she was devoted to Jesus. She did it because Jesus was her Messiah. Are you really giving your best to Jesus? That's the first thing these verses are telling us about giving our best to Jesus. It's costly. Now, secondly, it's provocative. It is provocative. When someone sees you giving your best to Jesus, especially if you do it in a way that is costly, it's bound to provoke a reaction. Just look at verse 8 and verse 9 in our passage. Just read verse 8 and 9 with me. And in verse 8 and verse 9, we're told, but when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Now, these aren't outsiders who are saying this. These aren't unbelievers who are reacting this way. This is the disciples. These are the 12 men who are the closest, most intimate followers of Jesus. Yet when they see someone doing a beautiful thing for the Lord Jesus Christ, they're provoked to anger. Verse 8 says, when his disciples saw it, they were indignant. That word indignant, it means irritated, aggrieved, resentful at what they were seeing. Now why? Why did they react that way? Well, we're told why they reacted that way. They thought it a waste. What a waste to pour it all on the head of Jesus. They thought this was a reckless squandering of an extremely precious resource. They say this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. And they're right. It could have been. This oil was worth a whole year's salary for a common worker. A sum of money like that could have been used to help numerous impoverished families. And after all, right at the end of chapter 25, which is the chapter that immediately precedes this, Jesus was talking about the virtue of helping other people with basic necessities. Jesus spoke about the importance of feeding the hungry giving drinks to those who are thirsty, visiting the sick and those who are in prison. And maybe those words of Jesus, or words like it, were still ringing in the ears of the disciples when they saw this woman pouring out this very expensive oil on the head of Jesus. And maybe that's why they were provoked to indignation. Well, we'll think about the response of Jesus in a minute. But for now, I just want you to see that when we give our best to Jesus, especially when it's costly, it'll always provoke a reaction. 
It'll certainly provoke a reaction among the unbelieving world when they see how much time you devote to Jesus, how much effort you put into following him, how much of your life you devote to him. They simply will not understand it. Now, some of you here in church this morning may be married to unbelievers. Some of you may have unbelieving children. Some of you may have unbelieving parents. And you know better than anyone that they simply do not understand why it is you devote so much of yourself to Jesus. They don't get it. They don't understand. They ask, do you really have to be in church every Lord's Day? Why do you have to spend so much time praying and reading your Bible? Why are you so committed to fellowship with other Christians? You know, whenever you give your best to Jesus, it always provokes a reaction. But as these verses show us, sometimes it is other believers who are provoked. Brothers and sisters in the Lord who are provoked by you giving your best to Jesus. Sometimes it is other believers who simply don't understand why you have to devote so much of yourself to Jesus. Especially when it's very costly. And I'm saying to you this morning, do not be surprised at that. If you are really giving your very best to following Jesus, don't be surprised if some of your fellow believers are provoked by that. Because when you give in a way that is costly, it's bound to be provocative just as it was here in Bethany when the disciples were provoked to indignation at what they saw. So then, there's two things we've learned about giving your best to Jesus. It's costly, and it's provocative. But thirdly, it's beautiful. Oh, it's beautiful when you give your best to Jesus. Just look at the response of Jesus in verse 10 and verse 11 and verse 12. Just read verse 10 and 11 and 12 with me. And in verse 10, 11 and 12, we're told, but when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have your, the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it. For my burial. Now, I think that we can infer from what we read here when it says, when Jesus became aware of it, that when the disciples were complaining to the woman, they thought they were out of earshot of Jesus. Perhaps they'd surrounded her in a corner of the house whilst Jesus was talking with others. And perhaps they started muttering to her, complaining to her. And they think Jesus is not aware, but we're told when Jesus became aware, he says, why do you trouble the woman? In other words, leave her be. Leave her alone. And Jesus says, for she has done a good work for me. A good work. Now, the Greek language that sits behind that phrase, a good work, could be translated 
lovely. She's done a lovely work. She's done a beautiful work, a virtuous thing. Jesus is pleased that this woman has given him her best, most precious, most valuable possession. Jesus is delighted. Jesus is thrilled. And why? Why is Jesus so pleased? He says, for you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. Now, in saying this, Jesus isn't dismissing the poor, nor is he dismissing the idea of helping the poor. There are plenty, plenty of occasions when Jesus has shown either in his words or in his actions that it is good, it is righteous that we should help those who are poor, that we should help those who are vulnerable, we should help those who are ignored by this world. But Jesus says there is something even more important than that, something even more important than helping the poor. And what is that? What is more important than helping the poor? Knowing him. Knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Being devoted to Jesus. Giving yourself to Jesus. Jesus says, no matter how many soup kitchens you run, no matter how many food banks you set up, no matter how many debt crisis workshops you host, you will always have the poor. But, Jesus says, me, you do not have always. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, Jesus is talking about his forthcoming crucifixion. He's referring to that moment when he will be betrayed, when he will be handed over to the authorities and his body will be nailed to a cross. He's talking about his blood that is going to be shed for the sins of his people. And Jesus is saying, now, if you're going to give the very best of yourself to something, give it to that Give it to Christ and his sacrifice upon the cross. If you're going to give the most valuable thing that you possess, give it to that. Give it to the Lord Jesus Christ who died upon the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. If you have anything precious, anything costly, anything that's valuable to you, give it to that. And that's why Jesus says this woman has done a good thing. She's done a virtuous thing, a lovely thing, a beautiful thing. And look now at what Jesus says in verse 12. Just read verse 12 with me. And in verse 12, Jesus says, For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, in the ancient Middle East, when you were preparing a body for burial, normally you would anoint it with oil and wrap the body in spices. But those burial rites were refused to anyone who'd been executed as a criminal. In other words, having been executed upon a Roman cross, the body of Jesus would normally have been denied the rights of proper preparation for burial. But Jesus is saying that this woman's action in pouring out this precious, fragrant oil on his body, it has prepared him for being placed into the tomb. 
And more than anything else, that's why this woman's actions are good and beautiful. Now, I wonder, did this woman really know the full extent of what she was doing? Did she know that she was preparing the body of Jesus for burial? Was she conscious that that was what she was doing? Well, it's certainly possible. This woman could have previously heard all that Jesus had said on numerous occasions that I must go to Jerusalem. I must be handed over to the authorities. I must be crucified. And if this woman really is the same woman as recorded by John's gospel, if it really is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, what do we know about Mary? She loved to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to what he said. So yes, it's perfectly possible that Mary may have been conscious that what she was doing was preparing the body of Jesus for burial. But it's also possible that the actions of this woman were even more significant than she herself realized. Because it is often the case, is it not, that our actions have more significance than even we ourselves realize? There are times when we may give our best for Jesus, and perhaps it's been done at great personal cost to ourselves, but we've done it. We've done it simply because we love Jesus, because we're devoted to Jesus, because Jesus is our Messiah. And we've done it, and we've done it happily. And yet, the true meaning of our actions, unknown to us, has been far deeper, far more significant than we could have possibly imagined. Do you see why Jesus says, this woman has done a beautiful thing? For whenever we give our best to Jesus, even when it is costly, even when it is provocative, if we do it out of love and out of devotion to him, especially love and devotion to his death upon the cross, it's always a beautiful thing. And Jesus is well pleased with it. So then, these three things we have learned about giving our best to Jesus. Oh yes, it is costly. And yes, it will be provocative, but it is beautiful. And now fourthly and finally, it is also eternal. It is eternal. Just look at the last verse in our text. Look at verse 13. Just read verse 13 with me. And in verse 13, Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Now here Jesus is looking forward beyond his death and resurrection to the gospel era. Jesus is looking ahead to the days when the gospel will be proclaimed to the whole world. And Jesus is anticipating the days when the good news of his death and resurrection is preached in cities and towns and villages across the globe. Jesus says, whenever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And note the emphasis is in what she has done. Not so much on who she is, but what she has done. 
And maybe that is why Matthew leaves her nameless. But nevertheless, Jesus makes a solemn promise that this woman's actions will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. And you and I are fulfilling that promise here today. 2,000 years later in the town of Penzance, we are remembering what this woman did for the Lord Jesus Christ. And how many times has this story been told over the years, I wonder? How many times has this story been told throughout the world? How many times has this story been told in Malaysia and on the Pacific Islands and in New Zealand? How many times has this story been told in Nigeria, Cameroon, South Africa? How many times has this story been told in Poland or Romania or Spain? How many times has this story been told in Jamaica, Trinidad, Ecuador? It is just as Jesus said, assuredly I say to you, whenever this gospel is preached in the whole world, this woman What this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And not only in this world, but I wonder how many times has this story been remembered in heaven. You know, the Bible says that all our sins and all our wickedness will be forgotten if we're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I do believe the Bible also teaches that the things we do for Christ in this world, the beautiful things, the righteous things that we do for Christ will be remembered for all eternity in heaven. So it's not just while the gospel is proclaimed in this world, but it'll be carried on into the new creation and remembered and talked about forever. Not so that this woman is glorified, but so that what she did for the Lord Jesus Christ is glorified. Now think about that the next time you can't be bothered to come out and worship the Lord on the Lord's day. Think about that the next time you're watching Champions League football on a weekday night instead of coming out to a midweek prayer meeting or Bible study. Think about that the next time you're out shopping instead of supporting the outreach work of the church. The things that we do for the Lord, even though they may be costly, will be remembered for all eternity and bring glory to Christ. The things of this world, sport, shopping, our own material comforts, they are passing. They are here today and they're gone tomorrow. They're transitory. And at the bottom of them, there's no real joy anyway. You think these things will bring you happiness and joy, and maybe they do for a fleeting moment, but when you really get to the bottom of them, there's nothing there. Solid joys, lasting treasures, none but Zion's children, no. The things of Christ are eternal. So let me encourage you, follow the example of this woman in Bethany. Be prepared to give your best to Jesus. And yes, it will be costly. And yes, it may be provocative. But it's beautiful and it's eternal. Let's pray. 
O Lord, our God and our loving Heavenly Father, once again your word has cut like a sharp sword right to the heart of the matter. And it is not that we have come to understand your word. Your word has come to understand us. Lord, we confess there are times when we have often not given you our best. We have kept back the best for ourselves. Forgive us, we pray. Place it into our minds and also into our hearts that we should give our best to you. And we ask that you will help us to do so, for without your help, we cannot do it. But you give us the grace to do all things. And so we pray that you will help us by your Spirit's power to give you our best. And we ask it all in the Saviour's name and for his glory. Amen.